1, 26 through 38. These are the words of the living God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us once again in your presence to have our minds renewed through the ministry of your word. We pray that you would do just that today, that you would help us to be attentive to the things that you say here to us in Holy Scripture, that you would work in our hearts applications uh, that are relevant to us. Let us see the implication of this text for our lives today so that we might better serve Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I I don't think that we often reflect enough on the great struggle that women go through during uh, the time of pregnancy, but it really is an arduous task. First of all, they've got nine months ahead of them to anticipate uh, all kinds of changes in their body and in their emotions. Sometimes uh, their bodies change in ways that they never would have expected. Sometimes those changes last forever. Sometimes those changes are permanent. Their appetites are strange. They eat really strange things. Think Emily liked uh, powdered donuts and root beer whenever she was pregnant with Shiloh or something crazy like Or maybe it was 7-Up. Uh, They eat 12 times the amount of food that they normally eat. They carry around an extra uh, 10-pound like bowling ball on their bellies, uh, which makes their lower back hurt. Their feet get swollen up. They go through all kinds of different emotional roller coasters. They're uncomfortable at night. They can't get comfortable. And then at the end of it, they've got to get this huge baby through a tiny uh, birth canal and oftentimes that birth uh, results in a surgery at the end. You may end up having a C-section or something like this. It's really quite the task. And in our text today, we see a woman who knew that struggle intimately, and along with that struggle, she had to bear the shame and reproach of a woman who was labeled an adulterer in her society, even knowing she was perfectly pure. She was a virgin. 
But she was willing to do it because God had chosen her and placed this holy calling on her life. And in our text today, we're going to see three implications of the virgin birth. The first one being that since we are chosen in Christ, like Mary, we must raise him up in the world. Since we are chosen in Christ, we must raise him up in the world. Number two, since we are part of a new humanity in Christ, we must live like we are part of a new humanity. And finally, number three, since we are called in Christ, we must be faithful to bring him into the world. So we see that first point, since we are chosen in Christ, we must raise him up in the world in verses 26 through 33. So read that again with me, if you will. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here the announcement of all announcements has finally been made. This is what All of human history uh, has been looking forward to. The entire human race is looking towards this moment when the Savior, Christ, will be born. From the very beginning, when our first parents uh, fell in the garden, God did not leave the human race without hope. But he immediately came back and made a promise to another woman who was said, Uh, to who it was said she would one day be with child, and that woman was Eve, okay? And God comes to Eve, and he says after Adam and Eve sinned, that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. This is way back in the beginning of our Bibles, in Genesis chapter 3. And the seed of the woman there generically refers to who? We've been talking uh, about this throughout our series. It refers generically to the people of God. It, it refers to all the children of God, uh, beginning with Abel, the child of Adam and Eve, and all of their descendants who are believers, but it refers more specifically to one particular seed, the promised Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the world. And Christ is the one who would one day come and defeat the enemies of God's children once and for all. And that day that all of human history has been looking forward to has finally come, but not without great anticipation. Did you know that this is not the first woman to conceive in the Scriptures through miraculous intervention? Uh, If you read through your Bibles, you will know that all of the important women throughout Scripture are barren. And why is that? Well, it is all point, 
pointing towards this one momentous event, this most monumental moment in human history, the miraculous birth of Christ the Savior. You will remember Sarah, Abraham's wife, way back in the Old Testament. She was a barren woman, and she was promised that she would one day be with child, and I think she was 95 when she finally conceived. Uh, and God gave life to her dead womb just as he said she would. And her and Abraham had a promised son in their old age. And that son was Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And his, uh, his wife, Rachel, was barren too. And God came and he opened up her womb. And we can't forget about Samson's mother, who is not named, but her husband is Manoah. And an angel, in a strange parallel to our story, comes to her and says that she will be with child. She's going to have a son. And then Samuel's mother, remember Hannah? She's barren, and she goes down to the temple and prays, and God gives her a child, Samuel, and she dedicates him to the Lord. And just before this, in our story, you have Elizabeth and Zechariah, who are old, and she is barren, and Zechariah prays, and the angel Gabriel appears and says that she is going to have a child in reference to John the Baptist. That is the six-month reference in our text. Six months prior to this, God had announced a miraculous birth to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth in reference to John the Baptist. And here we see yet another. But this one is different. Now, Mary is said to be the favored one in verse 28, and she is said to be said to have found favor with God in verse 30. What does this mean? She's the favored one. Is she to be given some sort of exalted status because of this title? Are we to think that Mary is holier than any other woman who has ever lived? No, this means that Emily... uh, Emily. (laughs) Mary has been shown grace. Uh... That is what the word favored means. It means to be shown grace. She is one to whom God has shown grace. He has been gracious to her. Now, this is not to disparage the righteous life of Mary or any other woman for for that matter, but the point is something supernatural is taking place here. God is going to come and do the seeming impossible in the life of Mary. Mary. Mary is a sinner, just like you and I. But yet God chose her and decided to show grace to her and set her apart for this holy purpose, to bear the Christ child in the world. She is going to bear the child that the whole world has been waiting for. Every other miraculous birth prior to this anticipates this one. There have been many children of God born since Adam and Eve had their first one, but they are all looking forward to the birth of the promised Son, the Son of God, the Savior, Christ the Lord. The text says that Mary was greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern what it meant. Now, no doubt the angel scared Mary. Men and women are said to get scared in the Scriptures when angels show up. But the text says it was the saying that troubled her, right? That she was favored, right? That she was chosen in this way to be shown grace. And Mary is thinking, well, there's nothing special about me. I'm just an 
ordinary young Jewish girl at that from Nazareth. But yet God has chosen in his grace to set her apart for this very high and exalted purpose. And friends, you and I, in a way, are just like Mary. We are ordinary men and women. There is nothing that makes you or I better than the next man or woman. But yet God, according to his good pleasure, decided to show grace to us. And he chose us in Christ and for Christ from before the beginning of time to bear Christ in the world in a very particular way. So what are some of the ways that we birth Christ into the world? What are some of the ways that we raise Christ up in the world today? Well, first of all, when God converts us by his spirit, it can be said that Christ is born in us. Anybody who has experienced the new birth has experienced the birth of Christ in their lives. So when we preach Christ, Christ is born, right? And that is why we must, we must preach him. That is how Christ was born in our lives. People preach to us. And so one way that we raise Christ up in the world, that we birth Christ in the world, as it were, is by preaching Christ. So we must preach Christ. Also, God has chosen to work in human history through a covenant family. He chose to bring uh, Christ into the world through a particular family. It started with the family of Abraham way back in the Old Testament, and it culminates in the family of Mary and Joseph in the New Testament. Joseph is his supposed earthly, um, his adopted father. Um, But God continues to raise up Christ in our families today. Again and again, the scriptures say that God has made promises to us and to our children. God makes promises to us and to our children. So when we are faithful to rear our children in the Lord and to raise them up in the Lord, they in turn go out into the world and raise Christ up in it. This is the way that God has determined to take over uh, the human race or to take over the world, as I guess a better way to put it, but a particular part of the race, uh, from the very beginnings. It's by way of family, by raising Christ up in family. So we raise our children in the Lord. That is another way that we raise Christ up in the world. Moreover, as the church, we have been entrusted with the task like Mary of raising Christ up in the world as the church. And when we do the things that God has told us to do in faith, like Mary did here, Christ is raised up in the world. We must become compassionate and interested in the hurt and the pain of others that we see out there in the world. We must be interested in the injustices in the injustices and pain that we see out there in the world. And when we come and we bring Christ to bear on those oftentimes painful situations, Christ is raised up in the world. When we love one another the way that God has loved us in Christ, Christ is raised up. When we forgive one another the way that God has forgiven us in Christ, Christ is raised up. When we walk in humility, kindness, patience, 
bearing with one another in love, Christ is raised up. A final way that I will mention that God does this through us is by giving us grace to overcome struggles and adversity in our life. Another way in which we raise Christ up in the world is when God gives us grace to overcome the struggles and adversities in our lives. Every one of us are dealing with struggles and adversity. There is something in our life that we are dealing with, and if we are not, it's coming. As a Christian, this is our lot. And as we continue to wrestle with those things and struggle with those things and persevere in faith, God will give us grace by His Spirit to overcome those things and have victory over them. And every time we put one of those things that hinder us underfoot, Christ is raised up in the world. Uh, We are given more freedom to serve Him. We are given more patience. We are given more wherewithal to serve Him more effectively in the world. So since we are chosen in Christ, we must raise Him up in the world. That's number one. We see that second point, since we are part of a new humanity in Christ, we must live like we are part of a new humanity in verses 34 through 37. Let's read verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Here we see what sets Mary's pregnancy apart from all the other miraculous births in the Scriptures. She is a virgin, which means something incredible needs to take place in order for her to conceive, right? The barrenness of all the godly women that precede her and the supernatural nature of their conceptions is all pointing forward to the miracle of all miracles, the virgin birth. Now, the word used here for virgin means a uh, woman who has not yet known a man. And so Mary is beginning to grapple here with what the angel says. She understands him perfectly. He is saying that she is going to become pregnant without the help of a man. And she's wondering how this can be. It's a good question, Mary. Good question. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. All right, what what is that? (laughs) What is is going on there? This is the most sublime of all miracles. The God of heaven is going to come and inhabit heaven the womb of the Virgin Mary. But how can this be? How can the God who cannot be contained in the heavens be contained in the womb of the Virgin Mary? Well, that, friends, is the mystery and the miracle of the virgin birth. The God of glory, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who has always existed from eternity is now going to come and be conceived in the finite womb of the Virgin Mary and bound by space and time. Why? Why does He do this? Well, it was necessary 
for our salvation. Friends, it was necessary. God created mankind perfect, without spot or blemish, but mankind was defiled in the fall. So mankind is created perfect, he's undefiled, but in the fall, all that goes away. Um, Mankind has become corrupted as a result of the fall. And since man failed to obey the law that he was supposed to keep by that same law, he must now be judged. Enter the virgin birth. The virgin birth is the answer to that question, or that, that problem. The virgin birth is the answer to that problem. The text tells us the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And this language reminds us of what happened in the original creation. Remember back there in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God is said to be hovering over the face of the earth, right? And then God speaks, and the world as we know it today comes into existence. Uh, It's like when uh, a mother hen broods over her chicks until they hatch, bursting forth with life. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is going to brood over the womb of the Virgin Mary, exerting creative power and influence over it so that an embryo is formed that the God of heaven will inhabit. Why? Again, God is going to save the human race, and He does it by taking humanity to Himself. He does it by taking humanity to Himself. In the person of Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, God and man are reconciled. You see that? God takes humanity to Himself. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, one person, God and man are reconciled. God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus and becomes the new representative of humanity. Adam was the first representative of humanity, but in his sin, humanity was defiled forever. And in Jesus Christ, a new humanity is born, one that is free from the defilements of sin and corruption. And in that flesh that Jesus takes on, he goes and he obeys the law of God perfectly that we were supposed to keep. He is the perfect man. He is the one that every one of us was supposed to be. And then at the end of his life, even though he was perfect, sinless, never offended in any way, perfectly innocent, he goes and he willingly lays down his life on our behalf, and dies the death that we deserved to die. And in his perfect life and sacrificial death, a new humanity is born. In his perfect life and sacrificial death, a new humanity is born. text says the child born to Mary will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, friends, Jesus does not have an earthly father. So he is not defiled by the sin of Adam. Jesus is not 
a son of Adam. He is the son of God. And he was born perfect and pure and holy. And throughout his life, he remained holy and pure. And therefore, all those who are united to him by faith are made holy and pure. Does that make sense? We're united to the one who represents the new humanity who is perfect, holy, and pure. And therefore, in him, we are made perfect and holy and pure in the sight of God. We become members of a new human race that God has decided to save by his grace. And as such, we become the beneficiaries of everything that is his. We become part of a new humanity that is perfect and undefiled before the eyes of God. And the righteous life that he lived becomes our life. And the death that he died becomes our death. This is the miracle of the virgin birth. This is the glory of the incarnation. And friends, if you are part of a new humanity, that means that you must not live like the old one. Right? We're not part of that old humanity anymore. We've been made part of a new one. And therefore, we must not live like the old one. What are some evidences that we are part of a new humanity in Christ Jesus? What are some evidences that we've been made part of this new humanity? Well, it's like we say in our prayers all the time, we are going to be made holy in thought, word, and deed. In thought and in word and in deed. If you are part of a new humanity, you will not think the way that you used to think you will not have the same kind of thoughts continually that the rest of the world has. You will not continually try to conjure up new ways to do evil things, but rather, you'll repent of that way of thinking, and you'll turn from it, and you'll constantly want your mind to be renewed by the Word of God. That is an evidence. Your, your thinking is different. You want your mind renewed by God's Word. Your words are different. The way that you speak is different. You don't speak like the rest of the world. Your, your mouth is not filled with filth. And that means you have a different pattern of speech. Okay? It's, a, it's a pattern of speaking. Corrupt forms of speaking do not characterize your speech anymore. Right? And our deeds, right? The things that we do, the actions that we perform are not like the rest of the world. We don't take our hands and our feet and our body uh, and do the things that the rest of the world does, but rather we take them and do things that are pure and upright and good in the sight of God. You will be like Jesus because this is what it means to be made part of a new humanity. In Jesus Christ, all the old things pass away, and you become a new man, part of a new humanity. So ask yourself, do these characteristics of fallen humanity characterize my life? Or are there some ways in which these characteristics of fallen humanity characterize my life? 
And if so, you need to repent of those things, to turn from those things and turn to Jesus and conform your life to his, because that is what it means to be made part of a new humanity. All things are made new. So, since we are part of a new humanity in Christ, we must live like we are part of a new humanity. Finally, we see that third point in verse 38. Since we are called in Christ, we must be faithful to bring him into the world. Since we are called in Christ, we must be faithful to bring him into the world. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a courageous and faithful woman. I don't think we often realize all of the implications of what Mary is saying here. Mary was a betrothed woman, and in their society, a betrothed woman was said considered to be so united to her husband-to-be that she could actually be referred to as his, as his wife. <laughs> uh, Matthew, in his gospel, says that uh, Joseph is her husband in their betrothal stage. Uh, in the betrothal stage, you could only be separated from your husband-to-be by divorce or by death. And if you were caught in the betrothal stage in adultery, according to Old Testament law, you could be stoned to death. Right Now, it was not likely that that was going to happen to Mary because divorce had been permitted by this time and it was a common practice. But nevertheless, if she was divorced for this reason to have been found with child, that would have brought great shame and reproach upon Mary in her society. And this is why Matthew tells us Joseph wanted to quietly divorce her. Uh, he didn't want this awful thing, uh, one of the reasons anyways, he doesn't want this awful thing to befall Mary. So Mary is literally putting her life's reputation on the line when she says, be it done unto me according to your word. But this is the response of fa- every faithful, obedient servant of Christ, is it not? It took a woman with courage to be faithful to him, especially in her circumstance, But remember, this is the call of Christ to everyone who wants to follow after him. We must pick up our cross and carry it, whatever it is in this life. And here, Mary is unwittingly already beginning to take up the cross. Friends, here we see that Mary gives us a faithful pattern of service. She is willing to do whatever God says, in order to further God's program in the world of bringing Christ into it. And we must follow in her way. Just look at all that has happened as a result of Mary's labors in the world. Look at how the world has been changed since Christ has come. We are the fruit of her labors, friends. You and I sit here today because Mary is faithful to bring Christ into the world. And we have been called to labor along Side her. We have been called to enter into her labors with her. Now think about it. What are some of the ways that the world would suffer if we are not obedient to bring Christ into it? Let's look at it from the other side. Let's say we're unwilling to take up the call that God has placed on 
our lives. God is going to fulfill his purpose no matter what. He is sovereign. But what are some of the ways that will suffer, uh, the world will suffer immediately around us if we are unfaithful, if we are unwilling to take up uh, the calling that God has given us? Mary knew clearly what God wanted her to do, and so do we. Mary knew clearly what God wanted her to do, and so do we. What has God been calling you to do? Have you been faithful to pursue it? Have you been obedient to take up that call in your life, whatever it may be? Let me just put it to you this way. Everybody has their part to play. Everybody in the church has a part to play in this work. God has called all of us to serve him in some particular way. Now, granted, Mary was called to serve God in a very special way, but nevertheless, we have all been called to bring Christ into the world. Have we not? So, what has God been calling you to do? Is there something that you know that God has been putting on your heart? Um, something that he has reminded you of time and time again, something that other believers have been pointing out to you, and you know God is calling you to do it, and yet you're not doing it. Those friends are the things that we have to take up and pursue, because when we do, we bring Christ into the world, and our family and our church and our community is blessed. Now, I am not saying that this is not going to cause some of us to be uncomfortable, right? Think about Mary. It was an uncomfortable situation for her, right? She was going to be found with child, yet she was betrothed. She wasn't married yet. Some of these things that God calls us to do may make us incredibly uncomfortable. Some of these things may include a cross. Um, And that may mean that we are going to have to die a little bit to ourselves so that other people around us can live more. And it may hurt a little bit, but that's the way it is. That's the way that Christ is brought into the world. That is the way that the gospel goes forth. So we have seen that Mary was given an arduous task. She was a virgin, and yet she was to bear the Christ child in the world, and this would bring great shame and trouble in life. But nevertheless, she was willing to do it. She was a faithful servant of God and of Jesus, and as a result of her labors, every one of us who sit here today are blessed. So let us be faithful to enter into her labor with her. We have been chosen in Christ, and so we must bear him. We have been made part of a new humanity, and so we must act like it. And we have been called to bring Christ into the world. So let us do it, bearing the shame and the reproach that comes along with it, counting it nothing in comparison to the riches that we gain in knowing him.